ratings and reviews that we get, the further uh, up the listening chain we get and the more listeners that we can re reach. Damn it. <laughs> this is my thing. This is my thing. And I keep messing it up. You're, you're going to be fine. Take a breath. I was just really trying not to have to edit anything. Damn it. So <laughs> screwed that one up. Okay. Hi, we're Cara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that are rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push, push it. it. Hello and welcome to the Push Podcast. This is season one, episode 12. Yeah. We just had to look that up to know for sure. <laughs> we can't count. We can't get, it's, no trainer can count. That's like sort of the cardinal rule of being a trainer is that you don't know, you just don't count very well. Right. And if you lose track, you got to do two more. Yep. That's right. <laughs> you know, when we, you ask us how many do you have left and we say two more is because we don't know. Yeah. We don't, we don't know. We have, we were thinking about something else. <laughs> yep. Most likely watching your butt. Yep. Perform. Yep. <laughs> It's a full-time job. <laughs> what do you do for a living? Watch butts. Yep. <laughs> Have you ever participated in one of those, like, describe your career in the most awkward way possible? Yes, <laughs> yes. That's a great way to describe it. I look at butts and people pay me. <laughs> I teach people how to pick up blueberries with their vaginas. Yep. We've ruined the fruit for many people. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so what the heck's going on, Jill? Oh, let's see. We are uh, in the midst of the holiday season. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I have been um, talking about Christmas gifts for our kids because we do celebrate Christmas at our house. And so um, my husband, like... I, well, okay. I think that our kids sort of have both of us wrapped around their little fingers, but more him than me. For sure. And especially like Jack, like he, he loves giving Jack basically, Jack's my oldest, he's five, and he loves giving Jack whatever he wants all the time. And so one of the things that he's considering getting for Jack for Christmas is a, um, a toy archery set. What, what could go wrong? So... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, <laughs> the toy archery set, first of all, we don't have a huge living space, but also he has two younger siblings that are one and two, and I could just see all kinds, like, I could just see Lily popping around the corner with an arrow on her forehead and right. bend down in another one just because he puts everything in his mouth. Like, it's not going to be, I don't know. I don't know, honey. I don't think we're <laughs> We might have to put the kibosh on that. <laughs> we're just we're gonna get a, a tic-tac-toe paper pad right <laughs> but no pencils yes <laughs> yeah so what's going on with you 
Uh, just uh, chugging along. Um, I'm still recovering from my knee surgery, but I'm feeling better and better. I'm, I am like I'm in the phase now where I'm actively getting off the narcotics. So that's interesting. Yeah, it is. that's been <laughs> that's been kind of fun. Um, I actually am relieved to be like getting off of these because I it's funny because I I think I had reached a point where I had um, I think my body was feeling pain because of the narcotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you can see how people get into that cycle yeah. where they can be hard to get off because you feel pain in your body and you're like, oh, I should just take more of this. And it's really the drugs that are causing the problem. Um, so anyway, it has been sort of enlightening. I don't have a super addictive personality, but I can see how this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's super interesting. I'm sure for all of you, <laughs> all of you out there. You're welcome. Tell me about <laughs> tell me more about, about detoxing from narcotics. <laughs> well, it's relative because Kara is starting to uh, work more hours and work more hours in a row. So she's she's trying to get herself to the point where she can return to work full time in just a couple of weeks here. So it's relevant. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm super excited to be starting to be able to work a little bit more and feeling better in my body. It has just been so crazy how much this has affected me. Like, you know, it, it's, um, it, I've never had such a hard time recovering from a surgery mm-hmm. as far as the fatigue goes. Like you just, you just can't do what you think you can do. Yeah. Um, and so that has been sort of humbling and it has really like, it's helped my relationship with my body in a lot of ways because you just kind of have to submit. Mm-hmm. You can't. And so like there's was a point where I was like, okay, like it was like a Jesus take the wheel, but it was like car's body, take the wheel. Like, just tell me what you need and I'll do it. And, <laughs> and, and there's sort of a piece that comes with that. And we're going to expand a lot on that actually today, as far as our journeys with our own bodies and our relationships with um, our own bodies. But, um, but yeah, so that's, what's going on with me. Um, Also, uh, as far as like current events go, we wanted to talk just for a second about this Lizzo and the smoothie thing. Yes. Um, So if you don't know, a few days ago, Lizzo uh, posted a couple videos of her doing a detox smoothie program and people went fucking nuts. Like just, you know, of all of the things that she gets on a regular basis anyway, with people criticizing her body and her sort of fearlessly loving her body, despite all of the assholes out there, when she posted about doing this detox program, then all of the body positive people came for her. Yep. And so we just want to say, if you saw that and you felt triggered, we get it. Um, it does feel weird to have this person that you've probably idolized and put on a pedestal as like the queen of body positivity. But that being said, she's not here to be your queen of body positivity. She's a singer. 
she is not immune to diet culture. Mm -hmm. She is bombarded every day by people who criticize her body. And so if you want to come for somebody, come for the freaking diet industry. Yep. Come from the, for the people who have, have been pushing these ideals on all of us, even the most body positive people, you know, it still struggle mm-hmm. because it's so pervasive in our society. So we just wanted to say that for a second, like, um, it's really hard to see, um, not only it gets hard to see, it can be hard to see what Lizzo did, but it can also, it's really hard to see people coming for her because they kind of can't handle their, this, you know, somebody disappointing them. And I think if you are feeling anger, then, then what can you do to direct that in another way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, it's, I have felt this personally too, like when um, you and I have both experienced people um, not wanting to hire us because they view us as being overweight or aren't viewing us as the way that they want to look because mm-hmm. we, we both live in larger bodies. And I like for myself kind of arrived at the point where like, I'm not, I don't exist to be your before and after picture. Mm-hmm. And, and Lizzo doesn't exist to be your role model for body positivity she's on her own journey and she and she's on a very public journey Mm -hmm. and so she like it yeah I mean there's a lot there's a lot of feelings and thoughts tied up into that but like Cara was saying if you're gonna go after anybody go after the diet industry because they're the ones who have ingrained in us all of these ideas and beliefs and things that we either still hold true or once held true. Mm -hmm. And that actually takes us into our topic for today's podcast. So I, um, I texted Cara the other day and I was like, we should roast ourselves. Mm -hmm. We should roast ourselves and really like put ourselves out there on ideals that we ideas and ideals that we once held and believe about bodies, about the fitness industry and all of the things in between. Yes, we're going to knock ourselves off our own pedestal. Yep. So leave Lizzo alone. Come after us. I'm <laughs> <laughs> we can take it. So, um, okay, so like I, I was trying to think of where to start with this, and I was like, it has to be at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I even got into the fitness industry. So the story that I like to tell, and both of the stories I'm going to tell you today are true. But the story that I tell is that I was in graduate school. I was studying feminist anthropology. Mm-hmm. I joined a gym so that I could stay awake in class. And I realized that fitness can be both empowering and un- like not empowering at the same time. That is, people got stronger. They believed in their bodies more. But they were also more subject to some of the terrible um, ideals of the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's, that's the story that you probably heard if you listen to our podcast. Yes. But the other story is that while I was in graduate school, I gained 
and then lost a very large amount of weight, about 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I gained the weight when I first got into graduate school because stress and, you know, well, basically stress. Right. <laughs> and stress. And, yeah. Not sleepy. You know, like my, yeah. my schedule was like, I got up super early, like 4am. Mm-hmm. I would go to work, be at work up for an eight hour shift, go, you know, like have some time, eat whatever I could. Like I was so poor when I first got there that I was eating mostly like the dollar hot dogs from the vendors on the streets, like, because that's what I could afford. That's Wow. Yeah. That's true New York right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard about those hot yep. dog stands. <laughs> yeah. You have not heard about the hot dog story. Yeah. So I was living on a strict diet of street hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, like going to school until like eight at night, coming home, eating dinner, and then like just crashing and yeah. th- like getting maybe four hours of sleep at night. So then I decided I'm going to make a change. I, I ended up getting some student loans and funding and stuff so that I could quit the job so that I'd have more time during the day to study, have time for myself, sleep, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and I lost a lot of weight. I joined a uh, weight loss program as well. And people started noticing. Mm-hmm. And I started getting a lot of attention for my weight loss. And so I started also seeking that out a little bit more as like my motivation. So I posted some before and after pictures. Well, what happens when you do that, and even if you don't post the pictures, but you just have a big weight loss, you suddenly become like this success story and expert in weight loss. Mm -hmm. And so there was a part of me that was like, okay, now I'm an expert and started to see that maybe there was a way I could make money in being this expert too. Like I was at that point, I was graduating from graduate school, didn't know what I wanted to do next. A lot of the jobs that would have been available to me, I would have needed to go to to four more years of graduate school to get my PhD. Wasn't quite ready to do that. And I was like, well, I can do this fitness thing And if I do the fitness thing, it will guarantee me that I won't have to struggle with this, this weight loss anymore. Yep. Like if I make it my life, I won't have to worry about gaining weight, which we all know that that's not true anyway, but that was my thought process. And you know, when I have a master's degree, could have become a teacher. I could have gone into publishing. I could have gotten a job at the UN and I decided to stay in fitness, which, you know, is a job that you can get with a high school diploma. And I'm not discounting what I do. Like, I'm just saying that the barrier for entry is not very high Mm -hmm. and the really good people in fitness will get more education and, you know, or whether it's schooling or certifications or learning on their own. But, um, I, I sort of sacrificed a lot of that because I just, I had to maintain this new body and that's the story I've never told. Yeah. I have never heard that story. I've I've known Cara for like nine or 10 years now, and Mm -hmm. I have never heard that story until Mm -hmm. right now. 
Yes, because there's a lot of shame around mm-hmm. it. There's like, well, that was, it was so important to me to have a certain body Yeah, that I was willing to just kind of walk away from, I guess, things, the other things that I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now while I don't regret this, you know, the move that I made, um, I think about like, part of it is that within the fitness industry, I'm sort of a person I kind of want to destroy it from the inside out. If I'm going to be in the fitness industry, I don't want anybody else to make these decisions to be in it the way that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very possible that a lot of us are meant for different things. Right. Yeah. I think that it's so interesting to hear you tell that story and like know you now and you're so good at what you do and you're so passionate and like so smart. And, um, I, I am glad that you made that turn, but I get what you're saying. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't for a pursuit of passion. It was for a pursuit of thinness. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I know like, I forget the way that she curves it, but um, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor in her book, The Body is Not an Apology, writes about how we make these different decisions in our lives. And some of them are decisions that um, are more shame-based mm-hmm. that take away from our, our lives. And some of them are to build us up and really when I got into fitness, it was more of a shame-based decision Mm -hmm. and became a decision that does build, build me up. So it morphed and it's, it's really hard. I think one of the reasons I never told this story before is because of, I did have, excuse me, I did have a lot of shame about how, about how it kind of played out. And I liked the story much better Mm -hmm. about the empowering side. And like I said, both of those things are true. I think there was always a part of me that kind of got it, but there was also a big part of me that also had been just steeped in diet culture. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely believed that thinness equaled health. And so a lot of the early years of my training was about trying to be thinner and help other people be thinner. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that that's how it starts for a lot of people in the mm-hmm. fitness industry. They have, they have some uh, noticeable weight loss. People start asking them how did you do it? And then they mm-hmm. decide they're going to become trainers. And, mm-hmm. and like you were saying the the barrier of entry is pretty low. So just about anybody could really do it. I mean, you, you don't have to have a four-year degree or anything. You can just take, you don't even, you don't even have to be a certified trainer in, in the state of Oregon where we are. You can just say you are one and that's it. So just, <laughs> right. So there is that. Um, but my, uh, my story of knocking myself off of my pedestal is a lot. There's some similarities there. Mm-hmm. So I, I started this um, at-home workout program um, that was put out by a, an MLM fitness company. One of my relatives had suggested it to me and I tried it and I enjoyed it, but I also was like losing weight and um, 
people were starting to notice and people were like, Oh, how did you do it? And then I'm like, I love helping people like know how to be fit. And, and in my mind being fit was thin, being thin. And so I, um, I pursued that first of all, not through becoming a trainer, but my first pursuit was becoming a coach through this MLM fitness company. And I remember I was telling Cara earlier today, I remember my like sort of like bio for what I wrote, like why it's just my great passion. And it was about a moment that I felt a lot of guilt and shame over the number that was displayed on the scale at a recent doctor's visit. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was like my big moment, like, oh, I got to get this under control and then never going back. And by the way, if you ever go on any diet, you're always going to go back, like mm-hmm. just putting that out there. Um, and so that's sort of how it all, all started was, you know, trying to get and stay thin so that I could get the praise of other people. Um, and I felt like, you know, as I morphed into the pursuing an actual like training job, personal training job, it was like, oh, I have to look the part because nobody's going to want to hire a fat trainer. And so, um, you know, it was an intense amount of internal and external pressure to look a certain way. And I remember like, even from my family, like everybody's always like, oh, good job. And you're so beautiful. And you look so great. And I went to a, a Christmas party for my expanded family. And one of my cousins was like, oh, I just wish I could take my head off and put it on your body. Like, oh God. Right. (laughs) So at the time I was like, oh, I am like the hot ticket, you know? And so like, but that's so, so problematic on so many levels. And I mean, you are the hot ticket. Well, yeah. But not because you were thin. (laughs) No. No, I'm a hot ticket, no matter what the number of the scale is or how large or small my body is. But uh, yeah, thank you for saying that. Cause you are welcome. <laughs> too. <laughs> so, but yeah. And so I think about, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going along this journey with you. Um, when I first, you might've already heard this story, but what, and this is the story that I tell people mm-hmm. when I first got into training, um, I decided that to um, to become a personal trainer, I wanted to hire one and learn from them. So I hired one and I was assigned to car at a gym here in our town. And I remember it so clearly, like I looked the part, mm-hmm. like I was, I was pretty thin. I was fairly toned at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember Kara putting me through this, um, this movement screen. And I was weak. Oh my gosh, I was weak. And I was like, okay. And then she started calling me glamour muscles. And then <laughs> so now I have real muscles. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, my my knocking myself off of my own pedestal, like from a personal perspective, like the fact that I was actively engaging in diet culture and actively um, encouraging other people to engage in diet culture. And I wasn't doing anything that was healthy or sustainable, but also as a trainer, my assumption was that everybody's goal is to lose weight. Yep. Yeah. And that is like, and that's really common. And I want to break that down a little bit because for years, 
more, more of my career than not, I have preached that. That mm -hmm. is what I learned and that is what I believed. And for a long time, I worked in a gym in Washington and every year there'd be a big weight loss competition. And I got known as like the trainer to hire because I, my people would win the, the prizes at the end. There were like, there were all these big prizes. And, but the thing that I started to notice is that I would train some of the same people every single year. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at what their behavior was during the months of this, this weight loss challenge. I think it went on for like two or three months, um, is that they would overexercise, they'd starve themselves, they would win or get close to winning, and then they would gain all their weight back plus some for the next round. Yeah. And so there was a, I started to notice that, and then I started talking to my boss about like, can we do a competition that has to do with like, what your body can do like a performance-based competition or something like that. And they actually did it um, as like, you know, there were two different competitions that would right. run through the year, but there was still this weight loss one. Um, but it was the first time I started to like really question this fact I'm using air quotes right now uh -huh. that thinness equals health. So let's actually talk about that. Yeah. So when it comes to research, the first thing that I think everyone really needs to know is that most of the research about the obesity epidemic, more air quotes, is funded by people or companies that have a vested interest in people losing weight. These yep. are diet companies. These are people who work for weight loss centers. Mm -hmm. These are people whose very livelihoods depend on our belief that obesity leads to disease. Yes. Now, you may think, well, of course it does, because the science says so. What the science actually says is that obesity and being overweight is correlated with certain diseases. Mm-hmm. And one of the number one rules in statistics is correlation does not equal causation. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is that we cannot factor in all of the other factors or reasons or things that might come into play with that correlation. Mm -hmm. But one thing that the research does show is that weight stigma. So I'm talking about interpersonal weight stigma. Like if you have a family member or somebody who's saying, hey, you know, your body doesn't look right to me or mm -hmm. whatever, as well as institutional weight stigma. Like you can't go into a store and find clothes that fit you. You have to buy two tickets on an airplane because the seats aren't made the size that, you know, that, that you are. Your doctor doesn't listen to you or take you seriously because you're overweight. Those mm -hmm. kinds of things weight stigma causes health issues because it raises your stress, raises your cortisol in the same way that racism causes health issues because your stress is elevated all the time. Mm -hmm. And our bodies aren't meant to be in that fight or flight 
mode all the time. And that is an independent factor. That is not a, that's not a correlation. It is a cause um, in statistically. And so when, when you start seeing the world through that lens, it helps make a lot more sense because we know diets don't work. And then if you add to that, that, that not only will losing weight not really make you healthier, but living in a bigger body isn't really actually unhealthy. It's the stress of living in a culture that hates fat people. Mm -hmm. That is the problem. Yep. You can start really making some changes in who, how you basically how you show up in the world. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's, and if you're like, if you're just sort of hearing this type of messaging from us for the first time, your instincts are going to be to buck, buck back at us and be like, no, because if you're overweight, then you're going to have heart disease and high blood pressure and you're going to like, and you know, thin is the ideal. Like I, yeah, all that's good, but I want to feel like really great in my body. Well, what does feeling really great in your body mean to most people? It means usually means losing weight and being smaller. And it's, it's even like myself, like even I'm like, well, no, what, well, I got to be smaller. I got to mm -hmm. like, I'm still struggling with that sure. stuff. It's been internalized, basically been shoved down our throats since the day we were born, um, starting with our own mothers and then, and mm -hmm. then taken off from there. Um, and so the reason that we wanted to sort of roast ourselves and, and knock ourselves off our own pedestal is because we, we are continually learning yeah. from our mistakes and trying to put better messages out there into the universe. Um, like we were talking earlier about our, um, our old nutrition lifestyle. Oh yeah. Um, so Cara talked about diets uh, a lot and tell us again, your definition of diets. Anytime that you restrict your food, whether it's calories, uh, time of day that you allow yourself to eat or the kinds of foods that you choose to eat. Right. So this isn't necessarily like specific weight loss diets. It's not necessarily like Jenny Craig or Atkins or Weight Watchers or Weight Watchers or what's that beach one or whatever. I forget not uh, South Beach. Diet or, oh yeah. South Beach. Uh -huh. It's not necessarily even those things that uh, are marketed as weight loss things. It's it's hidden in other things mm -hmm. as well. Have you ever heard of paleo? Right. Or the whole thirty. <laughs> or the whole thirty. Or yeah. So we um yeah more more recently when we really thought like okay we're not dieting anymore we're gonna promote lifestyle change that's sustainable because that would be, but in reality, we were still selling weight loss yep. under a different name, but now it wasn't just weight loss, but it was also a little bit classist mm -hmm. because in order to do a paleo diet or even like a keto diet or whatever it is, you need to be able to afford more expensive foods. Yep. You're, you're trying to buy organic you're trying to buy whole foods. You're trying getting special herbs or shit for your smoothies. 
you're buying $3 protein bars that don't have any crap in it, you know, what all that, that kind of stuff. And, um, and we were doing that because we thought like, Oh, we're going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. We worked at a club where every, all the trainers were eating paleo because that was the thing to do. Yep. And side note, like Jill's husband has a medical reason to eat that way. Yes. And so they eat like that in their house for the most part because he does the cookie. Yeah, he does. Yes. I'm married up. That's right. <laughs> so, so, so there are sometimes there are very legit reasons for restricting food when you have like a medical condition or a food allergy. So, um, but we tend to blame food for a lot of things Yep. where food is also not the cause. Right. And when, so in a way, like when we were, we were preaching this paleo lifestyle, we were in the many ways being like having a lot of very, I'm just gonna, racist and classist yep. behavior. Yep. Because not everyone has access. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And one of our, one of our sort of core values as a company and, a, and just as people is that we're continually learning and when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't want to participate in, in diet culture anymore. We don't want to participate in upholding racism and patriarchy and, and all the things like this is like, so all that to say, like, as somebody in this country, typically people who identify as women, how do we get past this diet culture thing? What do we have to do? What do we need to do? Like, is if we want to lose like 10 more pounds, is that wrong? If we want to change the shape of our body, is that wrong? Like, what do, where do we go from here? Yeah, I'm still navigating that because, you know, we get a lot of clients that come to us that want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely believe in body autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so like, if somebody says, Hey, you know, like my joints feel better if I'm in this range, then I believe them. And I, you know, like I, but the thing is, is that I'm not going to say, well, you should go on a diet to lose weight then. Like, right. I can say there's also these great exercises that we can do to strengthen your knees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I try not to comment on people's bodies, mm-hmm. which as a trainer is kind of tricky, right? Because yeah. like it's in a, you're in an industry where people are always like my body, this and my body that, and you know, so to, or at least be neutral right about people's bodies so that the way that I communicate doesn't doesn't say that weight gain or weight loss is either good or bad it's just neutral it is it's a part of your natural process Mm -hmm. um and that's really hard because I know like even the descriptor fat should be a neutral term Mm -hmm. but it is not like if I heard someone just describe me as fat, I, my first instinct would be to get defensive. Yes. And so I think part of it is to just talk about it more 
mm-hmm. to talk about it with my clients, to talk about it with my kids, um, to point it out when I see it. Mm-hmm. Like we get, oh, we get companies sliding up into our DMs all the time. Like, hey, you should promote this weight loss supplement or like you're in fitness. So you should promote this like um, fitness apparel or whatever. And it's always like weight loss, you know, geared towards weight loss. Or if it's a fitness clothing company, it's usually clothing company where all the representation are skinny white women. Yes. And so we decided just to start saying something about it. Yeah. We're, we're not about that here. Right. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's, it, it is really, really, really difficult to release some of that, um, or all of that, hopefully one day (laughs) anxiety and pressure that we feel on a daily basis from, from the diet industry. Um, it's, it's a process. Like it, it really is. It is hard to do that, but I really, really want to encourage all of our listeners to find ways to, to sort of shed some of that off. Like not the weight, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the weight of society expectations. Mm-hmm. like to, to heal your relationship with your body, to, to at least start to see your body as a neutral thing. Um, and that food isn't good or bad. Your body isn't good or bad that maybe it can just be, it just is for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then explore that. Yeah. Yeah. And something that um, you say a lot, Cara, that I really, really like is that the way that you look is the least interesting thing about you. I love that because I, t- and part of releasing from that diet culture mentality too, is think about really take stock of how often throughout the entire day, are you thinking about what your body looks like or what you're eating? Mm-hmm. And imagine like how much more freedom you would have for these other things that you love if you weren't constantly in this internal or, or maybe outward battle, like if you're posting on the internet, like whatever, um, this constant battle with your body, mm-hmm. what would happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you could make peace with your body, what would you do with your time? And I think about that a lot, like, which is why I probably don't tell that story about how I got into fitness, because I feel like there's always that underlying question. Like if I had made peace with my body, what would I have done instead? Mm-hmm. And I don't regret going into fitness, but I do regret my student loans. <laughs> That's <laughs> a big tell, regret. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, like I could have picked a career that would have helped me pay off my student loans a lot faster. <laughs> like, yeah. And, And because I'll tell you something, being a body positive fitness company that does not promote weight loss is a dog fight. Yep. This is not a moneymaker people. This is a, I do it because I love it and I believe in it. And I want to make the world a better place for people who have struggled. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, so there's my student loans. (laughs) (laughs) They're just sitting out there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be like a family heirloom like after you die right. can pay it and after he dies his right. kids can pay it 
I have heard that when you die, they go away. I really, really hope that that's true. They go away for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. No. And that's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the Push podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review. The more attention that the podcast gets, the more listeners that we can reach just like you. Bye.